0: We need a
1: Hello, hello. Welcome to the Revolution to the Liberty Hour of Informed Life Radio on 1150 AM KKNW and streaming to a few platforms out there. So glad that you can join us. If you missed the first hour, the health hour this week, you got to go back and hear it. It was Javier Figueroa for the hour explaining about brain development, brain health. It was so powerful. So, um, go back and find it and, and watch that, uh- It's information we all need to know. It helps us make better choices for ourselves and our children when we really understand um, what's going on with our brains and and brain development there. Um, So this hour is brought to you by Informed Choice Washington, that rocking group in Washington state nonprofit that really works for medical freedom and informed consent and preserving those freedoms that we all need now more than ever. If you're not a member, go sign up to, to um, become a member, InformedChoiceWA.org. Uh, we've got a Substack post you can sign up for and if you could give a little something every month, donate to keep this show on the air in Washington State and streaming around the world uh, please do. We have got to keep free, free speech on, on the subjects that we talk about we've got to keep it going. And it, it just takes a little bit from a lot of you uh, to keep it going. So we're so appreciative. Um, the views expressed are not nece- necessarily those of KKNW or Informed Choice Washington. We're not giving medical advice. We're not giving le- legal advice, bringing you some really good information. So I have got um, Javier Figueroa is joining us again for the second hour. Hello, Javier.
2: Hello, Bern- Bernadette.
1: Yeah, thank you for the past hour. Again, that's one of my favorite hours. I'm going to have fun promoting <laughs> that one. Um, and then we've got Bob Reynolds, the wonderful Bob. Hey, Bob. Hello,
2: so Bernadette.
1: Bob, how are you? And, uh, Good to Bob you is- again, Bob. He he's been, you know, I met Bob a few years ago out in Washington at a massive rally and, you know, our friendship and our working together has only grown since. He is now a key leader of Informed Choice Washington and and um, keeping his finger on the pulse, if not being at, um, actually involved in some really important things regarding medical freedom and informed consent. So, Bob, I'm going to let you take it away. You were were going to talk about litigation and legislation, and I believe you would like to start with litigation.
3: Thank you, Bernadette. And uh, I think we have some good news and bad news today. So which would you like to start with?
1: (laughs) Javier, you choose, good or bad.
2: You know, start off with the bad.
3: (laughs) Well, as we do in our, our space, in our health freedom space, we, we think it's good news when bills are filed that are good. And I'm sorry, uh, when lawsuits are filed. And so, you know, there's no decision made, but it's good news that lawsuits can get filed. But the bad news would be starting to get some decisions in nationally that aren't reflecting well on informed consent. And uh, I guess we just need to watch out for those. We still say that states' rights are where the action is in fact when i met you bernadette at the sundial there in mm-hmm. and that was nice how you took about a year to trust me <laughs>
1: <laughs> it probably wasn't a matter of trust bob it's just you know i'm always crazy busy in a year you go by in a blank it takes me a while to incorporate people into my crazy busy circle
3: yeah that's yeah. my excuse well, it turns out that- <laughs> turns out I had enough time to help, and uh, so I really appreciated working with Informed Choice Washington because, again, I think states' rights, uh, they were meant to be powerful. They were meant to be in balance with their federal laws, and and when things are not delegated to the state, they go to the people, and I want to make sure that uh, with Informed Choice Washington, we keep the state at bay and let the people have their rights. Yes. And so, boy, we see lots of uh, lawsuits trying to right that ship. We think that uh, obviously during the pandemic, we had lots of uh, overreach and a lot of us had had enough, as my shirt explains. And uh, so we've got lawsuits that, again, the national ones seem to be uh, not uh, reflecting well on informed consent. A little bit of challenges on that and the ability uh, to strengthen informed consent is uh, headed more toward the state level again I think the Supreme Court's going to defer back to states just like they did in Jacobson versus mass in
2: 1905
3: mm-hmm. so we got to keep watch on that um, that's that's kind of the bad news the rest of it I think is good news in that we do have lots of active lawsuits in the health freedom space I don't have it I don't have all the best status uh, for the, all the ones but we do have a uh, unless you guys know differently or can can back me up on this with your new knowledge but but uh, brian ward is kind of a freelance researching non-lawyer person and he's been getting uh lawyers to sign in he's done all the research all the heavy lifting for lots of bills sorry lawsuits i'm gonna have bills and lawsuits in my head multiple times here um but he's he's filed three cases here in washington state and i um, I'm, I can't find that third case, but I've got Curtis versus Peace Health, and that's for workers who were kept out of the workplace without uh, respect of their religious uh, exemptions. And, uh, and that one was filed middle of last year. That was the first one that came through in the state. And so I don't know what you have up on the screen, but you can look up God's riddles. I love his Twitter handle. God's riddles.
1: My mic's off. Was there something I you wanted me to pull up? I don't have anything with God's riddles. Yeah, no, riddles sorry. On it. Uh, okay. <laughs>
3: just kind of rambling. I'm trying to make this more conversational. Sorry, but I've just got some information listed here.
1: Oh no, you're 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 doing great. And when you were doing that, though, I was I'm trying to look on Twitter for something that Brian Ward broke. Um, do you happen to have it? I was look. He announced that they found the information that went to all the states that went to the governors that gave him instructions on the EUA vaccines, and it said point blank, you must tell individuals that they have the right to refuse. But none of the governors incorporated this into their rollout of the shots. So I was going to go um, go look for that. I think it's something that. Um, was unveiled in the discovery process in one of these suits that he's associated with. If I find it, I'll, um, I'll, uh, I'll show it and I'll read it out.
3: Okay. Yeah, his, uh, one of his most recent posts was January yeah. 25th, where Shriners Hospital for Children in Washington State... Uh,
1: I think I found it. I think I those, found it. Those like,
3: plaintiffs could have received an FDA-approved COVID vaccine to comply with Shriners Children's Hospital, which was mm. a lie.
1: Mm. Yeah, exactly. So this is what I was thinking of. So Brian Ward tweeted on February seventeenth. boom, I was provided with the CDC COVID-19 vaccination, quote unquote, playbook for states published in October 2020. The states had to number one, willfully participate. Number two, educate the public on the EUA and FDA approved differences three enforce the right to refuse and four was lawfully responsible for the entire program. And then, so this document is playbook that he was provided makes its debut in federal court this Tuesday in a lawsuit that, you know, that he was consulting on. And so I'm, I'm not sure quite, um, Let's see the next tweet below that was the state agreed to enforce the right to refuse before any drugs were shipped as a condition to enjoy the financial benefits of the program. What I'm telling you is that the governors knew they could not do what they did. And it's why they are lying in court saying uh, drugs were not under EUA. Their only escape is to lie that the drugs were not part of the program. And trust me, these puppies are lying through their teeth. So I love that tweet.
3: Yeah, yeah. I don't think he has an actual uh, license to practice law. So he gets to unleash a little bit.
1: Oh, yeah. And he's finding amazing stuff. We've had him on this program, and we're going to have to have him on again.
3: That's
1: right. Um, I, cool. I love that. You know, it's like it's like anything, you know, the lawyers need good support. They need yeah. individuals like Brian Ward, who digs deep and finds the good information. And he seems so organized and intelligent and able to articulate things in a way that just make them very accessible.
3: Yeah, oh, absolutely. And I've... Uh... So we could bring up his website, perhaps, which that CDC playbook is uh, provided a link there. So covidpenalty.com okay. is the website.
1: I will. Penalty. Yeah. So and what just, you got, Javier?
2: Just to, to add on to it. So um, Sasha Latapova and uh, Catherine Watt have basically also mentioned that it was a legal impossibility for FDA to approve anything that was EUA. That is the EUA had no requirement for clinical trials, no requirement for showing that it was actually a, uh, an effective or safe requ- uh, uh, countermeasure and that therefore FDA had no authority to actually review and approve anything that was under EUA, because it wasn't an investigational drug. Yeah, And that is one of the, the, the clear definition that FDA can only approve investigational drugs and devices for marketing. So that's another avenue as well, on top of what you've just said as well. It's it, you know there's, there was no legal basis for FDA to do anything, and it was a legal fiction that they even approved Cominarty.
4: or
1: Moderna's Absolutely, thoughts. yeah,
3: absolutely.
2: I still don't think it's ever reached our
3: shores. I don't think anybody has ever even administered Cominarty.
2: Right. It was it was under the uh, um, fate. Or no, uh, what was it? Process one. And they're using process two, which is a completely different animal.
1: But the, the booster shots that they have out there, um, if if they're for an individual over the age of 12, they're supposedly licensed. Do these have community labels on them? What do they have on them? The boosters. Is, uh, is that, Nobody seems to That's know. Go down to the pharmacy. Show me the bottle. I want to know. Show me the know. bottle. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And this is all part of a strategy to basically try and make the mRNA platform look legal without having any legality and violating every single FDA regulation on it, every, every regulation. Yeah, right. And it's also part of their
3: the way that they got the flu shots to be reformulated every year, but they don't have to go through a complete uh, uh, clinical cycle. They change the formulation at the antigen level, I guess. And then all the other uh, ingredients stay the same. And they, I'm also finding that regardless of the legal framework around these, that they're, they go ahead and, and, and have this veil of legality around it. I think that's what you just said, Javier. But they're going to come back and ask for permission later. I think they're going to do things the way they want to. They're kind of forcing things through. And now and come back and say, well, okay, now we need to make the law that makes this legal. And we're seeing this at the state Uh level from something called the Washington Vaccine Association. Yes. When I get to the bills section in just a moment, uh, we can talk about that.
1: Real quick, before we move on and when we're still on the stage of shenanigans regarding Mm -hmm. uh, vaccine products here, I wanted to share with you. This announcement that just came out from the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases about novel CMV vaccine generate stronger response in key immune cells than previous candidate. So this is um, let me go down here. So it it's cytomegalovirus called CMV. It's one of those infections, viral infections. It's in the herpes family that almost everybody gets. Almost nobody knows they even have it when they got it. And then it goes dormant, you know, like other herpes viruses, and then you harbor it. And, um, but it is, is something that can be dangerous if the mother gets it while she's pregnant, you know, a little bit like rubella, right? And so, but they have this vaccine that has been in the in the pipeline. Am I um, go back here? Um, it's an m it's Moderna's mRNA vaccine, and the clinical trial started on this mRNA vaccine in two thousand seventeen. So when they talk about oh, brand new mRNA, you know, we know that Moderna started because its very name means mRNA vaccines, right? Mod RNA. And um, so it's just interesting that this thing is in the pipeline. They're starting to talk about it. Watch the news for all over about the dangers of CMV. Most people won't have ever heard of it, but now suddenly like RSV, it's going to be in the news as they get closer and closer to bringing this. And they're going to be targeting pregnant women, right? And um, and infants, it's very concerning, and you know, it's one of the pipeline ones that I've seen that's closest to coming, and it, they're really championing it. Anyway, so it, it's just insane to me that we're finally, we're seeing that in 2017. Uh-huh.
3: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And looking at the pipeline of the other uh, diseases that they're targeting with vaccines, that one stood out to me a few years ago when we first saw that pipeline. I think cytomegalovirus tests really well with focus groups in terms of generating fear.
1: Oh, the name sounds like a monster, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. They, the, it was started in 2017 and then it went through 2020. They have not, they've released the fact that it creates all these antibodies that they're exciting about, but I can't find the release of the safety trial for it of the safety arm of, you know, they were looking for adverse events and adverse events of special interest and such, but they have not posted those results. So when are we going to get to see those? It's mRNA. Was it lipid nanoparticle? It's going to have the same plus a whole other host of other issues because nobody has yet solved all the dangers inherent with lipid nanoparticle and mRNA technology. So there we go. All right, Bob, take it away. All right,
3: well, get, let's get back to COVID penalty for just a moment. And Brian Ward, his website does have those four okay. attachments, starting with that CDC playbook. Okay. And really, that's the backbone of the elements, the, the uh, data and the evidence he's using to formulate most of his cases. He's got 17 cases now filed across the US.
1: Where am I going to find that on the website? Wow.
3: Just uh, sc- scroll down just a bit on that main
2: page. Okay. Uh, if you let me share screen, I've already got it up.
1: OK, go for it. How do I do that? How do I let you skip? Sc- I've got it, so I'll go ahead and add it because I'm not sure how to give you permission right to there.
3: scroll yep. <laughs> Right there would be the CDC playbook, the Pfizer EUA, the CDC contract and DOD Pfizer contract those four. Uh, Exhibits are the things that provide the basis and the foundation for most of his lawsuits. So if you want to geek out a little bit on the law behind the lawsuits, uh, this is where you can dive. We don't have he doesn't list anymore all 17 of his cases. Is it 17? Yeah. And so yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, that, that's the technicality there. It, the ability to track each case will uh, come with his communications. He'll have those on his Twitter feed.
1: Fantastic, Bob. Thank you. I did not even think to go to his website. This is exciting. I want to go down that playbook. I think we should share that playbook everywhere. And I think we should maybe formally ask Governor um, Inslee, and even here in Tennessee, Governor Lee, like... What's up? <laughs> like, mm. this is what you were sent. What did your state do? And is your state continuing to promote products that are EUA? Yes, they are, especially for children under twelve. those are still emergency use products. You know, why aren't you adhering to these guidelines? So well done. All yeah, righty. so
3: he's doing a great job. And then, of course, we've got the silent Majority Foundation, and we've had Pete on mm-hmm. a few times. Mm -hmm. Uh, he's got uh, a legal team now. Now that Pete's running for AG, he's really relying on Karen Osborne for the Mm -hmm. health freedom lawsuits. Mm -hmm. And she's got the hands on doing the heavy lifting for Silent majority foundation. And, And they have a number of cases that are active, constantly watching. Uh, they're looking at peace health. They've still got a case, uh, Zimmerman versus peace health, uh, Wilkinson versus Rogers.
1: I believe Children's Health Defense is helping out with that Wilkinson one. Is that right? Or yeah, is
3: that I they- so? And yeah. uh, well, there's Eggleston. I think they Eggleston, the Eggleston okay. case and okay. and Rick Jaffe as their uh, on board. He's not an employee at Children's Health Defense, but he does work on Children's Health Defense cases, mm-hmm. and that is part of the Eggleston case, which is basically freedom of speech, definitely First Amendment type lawsuit.
1: And. Um, What are the main charges in these lawsuits that you're naming um, Washington State based? Uh,
3: Most of them, well, certainly the Zimmerman versus Peace Health. And that has to do with basically the workers, religious exemptions weren't respected. Mm -hmm. Uh, Michael Turner versus WMC is about the Federation of State Medical Boards who passed this memo along that said, ooh, if doctors are spreading disinformation, you should investigate them. Well, Washington did. And they actually turned it, the argument is that they turned that memo into a policy in Washington under the Washington Medical Commission's purview, and then started challenging doctors. And that was not passed legally. There's no public comment, et cetera. They violated the administrative process. But the fact is that it's basically doctor harassment is what that, ter- that case is about. Okay. And there are some ivermectin cases as well still out there. I believe uh, Turner and a couple other doctors did the daring, daring, awful thing of prescribing a drug that's on the WHO essential medicines list. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and ten, you know, and as we wrote oh, yeah. in our recent uh, newsletter, Weekly News from Informed Choice Washington, we go into some detail on all those doctors who are in the ivermectin class. And, you know, they just five or 10 prescriptions here or there was enough to get the WMC going and challenge all their licenses. Yeah.
1: I'm so glad that this, these good fights are continuing because this is how they intend to just sort of capture us with uh, the medical industry is is the army in a way to remove all of our freedoms, and we can we just can't stand for it. We can't stand this war against us with labeling things, um, misinformation, disinformation. Um, we can't sit still while they take down the good doctors who are brave enough to do the right thing. So I'm so glad to hear these fights continue. Um, on, continue on.
3: Yeah, I'll finish with the good news on that front. Really, is Dr. Renata Moon her case, her investigation by the WMC has been closed without any actions. So there's no findings against Dr. Renata Moon. They investigated her for her participation in the Ron Johnson hearings. A congressional request to come and provide testimony was at issue with her license. Um, And they they kept that investigation open, even though she had surrendered her license already and left the state. But Mm. um, there could be some other ramifications from that legally as uh, Washington State university refused to uh, renew her contract after a seven years stint of founding the medical college at
1: wsu everybody all, everybody's associations are coming to light um with mm-hmm. it i just any anytime anything's just like it i think of it as showing the systemic corruption that existed bringing it to light when you bring it to light you can address it so we we still got a whole lot of um things being discovered spotlight being i got to find out some more metaphors i like the one about you turn on the light and the cockroaches scuttle so we got a little bit of that but it's almost as if covid did the opposite they're not scuttling away they're scuttling out and we got to stomp on them
3: (laughs) yeah there's just just too much of that pacific northwest overcast on the west side of the state here that's not a bright enough light we need a brighter yeah. light to shine through the the fog of the fog of war, the fog of war during the pandemic and all the rights that were violated, I think.
1: Yeah, exactly. Okay. Well, Those, uh, those are lawsuits
3: and we could get mm-hmm. on to bills real quick. And we might be having a special guest join us here shortly to talk okay. about some of the initiatives, the six initiatives that were filed here in Washington.
1: Okay, uh, very good.
3: You know, hundreds of thousands of people signed these initiatives, six initiatives, to get them on the ballot in November. There is action regarding those. The legislature has the choice to sign those into law during session right now. And the potential exists for that next week.
1: It's it. it, I'm so excited about um, Washington state coming alive and doing what they're doing. There is pushback. You know, I know my family and I, we ran away, but I never stopped fighting for Washington. I'm still here fighting. Um, And I'm so glad so many people are. I do think we can save the state and bring it around. Hey, while we're waiting um, to do that transition here, let's um, our good old Dr. Javier Figueroa got brave and gave some public comment in Idaho. Can you tell us a little bit about what what's going on there? In Idaho,
2: So this was regarding Senate Bill 1287 that was brought forth by Senator Tammy Nichols in which she uh, basically, uh, let me pull it up. I've got it right here. It was an act relating to health amending title 39 in Idaho's code by the addition of a new chapter 73, title 39 Idaho Hope code to prohibit the jurisdiction of certain health organizations, providing severability and declaring an emergency. Now, this basically uh, said that, uh, that uh, there is no legal basis for the World Health Organization, the department, the HHS, or any organization to impose mandates, rules, or regulations requiring masking, injections, and things like that. So at the health and welfare meeting, which was a subcommittee for, for that, uh, everyone was supportive of it uh, with, you know, saying, this is great. There was 15 people that came to give public comments. All of them were supportive three, including myself had some quibbles, or at least they wanted to make some changes to it. And the committee decided that we're going to not take it forth to the, to the floor. Mm -hmm. And which shocked me because I thought that there was enough support from it at the health and welfare committee. Um, But uh, because three people had minor quibbles, that was the enough excuse for certain senators to basically say no. Now, here's the thing. The vast majority of the senators are conservative. Two of the senators that didn't that voted not to bring it forth to the to the committee were more on the liberal side. Um, But the reasons that they gave were poor unfortunately, the the regulations basically said that you needed to have a majority in both the House and the Senate to require mandates.
0: Mm.
2: Right? Okay. So I can understand why some people objected to it, that, that they had minor quibbles, that it was uh, that some of the provisions, basically the first section was what basically said, we're not going to, hey, this is all provisional. We're not, if someone requires it to do us outside of the state, no. Mm-hmm. Second and third provisions basically said, yeah, to have a majority vote in the House and the Senate to mandate or require injections. Now, I also have a problem with that, yeah. saying that you need that. But I talked to uh, Senator Nichols, who said, if the legislature doesn't take power, the public boards and the public health boards will assume that they have it. Then if something comes down from the exterior, they'll basically say, well, you know, we Think it's a good idea. Therefore, we will implement it, and you know, forget the uh, uh, the rules and regulations because you can actually circumvent the legislation if by county and and city uh, councils decide that they want to do something, they can tell the legislation legis- legislature to just nah, we're not going to listen to you.
1: So, I mean, I, I it's good to always speak up, and and when you see a bill that you support yet it's flawed. Yeah. And point out the flaws because it's, it's better to pass no bill than a flawed bill. Correct. So do you think then it, this bill could be uh, revised and, and improved and then brought back?
2: I haven't heard back from Senator Nichols, and I don't know enough about the rules uh, regarding uh, whether you can resubmit a bill when it's been shelved Mm. and what sort of fight will entail. Uh, One of the, one of the things I do want to, at some point is talk to Leslie Manukian over here. She's in, she's in Idaho Mm -hmm. and ask what was, you know, uh, what would make the bill more palatable to her? Because her objections were sections two and three, which require the majority vote in the house and the Senate. Um, Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, uh, Senator uh, Nichols did not, Make that abundantly clear that unless the legislature assumes the power of the decision point, uh, non, you know, non, uh, the county and city levels could actually assume those. If you don't explicitly state that you you can't you can't assume those powers.
1: So you know, I don't want to spend too much time here, but you bring up a really interesting point that I would love to have clarified. Something we were dealing with here. I don't believe that state agencies and county agencies have the authority to mandate vaccines. They don't. In 1905, the Jacobson decision said it is up to the legislature. I don't think that they can do that. We've got, you know, all over this nation, Department of Children's Services and, and such, keep trying to, you know, write laws in the form of rulemaking. And when it comes to vaccination that cannot be. So I'm not sure that that's completely valid. The agencies might think that they have that authority, or maybe the counties think they have that authority. But it's a police power to tell somebody you have to get a medical intervention. That's a use of police power, which is a state power. Correct. Um, so I, I, I think this is really well worth looking into to find out exactly who, under the Constitution of the U.S. and of each state, um, who actually has the power to mandate such things.
2: And, and Bob, here's a question that I have for you. It's my understanding that if you want to require someone to take a shot or undergo a procedure, you actually have to go through a court of law.
3: In Washington, certainly, uh, if you get into the emergency sections of the law or certainly if there's an outbreak and somebody doesn't want to do something, there is due process required in order to get to that point. And so that is how they claim that the quarantine rules here in Washington, and I think Oregon is very similar, that uh, there's protections in place for the individual if they uh, have an infectious outbreak and want to really get uh, strong with their,
2: right,
3: and it's the local health officer during times of emergency here that have such power and they can be mandating. Um, so my question back to you would be, is that bill come with any guardrails that say, you know, that you still have rights to refuse?
2: Well, so that, that that part, I think might, might might've been the, uh, the sticking point. It was basically a blanket statement saying that the state of Idaho will not, will not entertain any, uh, requirements, obligations, or, um, uh, duties associated with the World Health Organization, the CDC, and the Health and Human Services. Basically, it's all provisional. We'll think about it. We're not required to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, my understanding is that public health only regulates the environment, it doesn't regulate the individual. And in order to, to require anything that involves the individual, an individual not doing something that then requires an intervention of the court and basically present a case and get a court order to require someone to do some something. When you're talking mm-hmm. about public health at a community level, that would require that the court issue out a specific writ or requirement for every individual. That's, and that's just impossible to do. Like, for example, with like everyone needs to be vaccinated. Okay. Well, there's a separation there because a doctor needs to prescribe something that goes into your body. And vaccines are the only class of medical product that have this blanket requirement for everyone or, quote, everyone to take. Mm -hmm. Nothing else like it exists.
1: And it needs, you know, and if you ask every scientist in vaccinology world, they would agree that you need to individualize uh, vaccines. But the policies treat them as if um, one size fits all and it does not. I see that we do have a guest that popped in. Bob, do you want to introduce um, Hallie?
3: yeah sure so in fact today we were at the capitol there was a rally around let's go washington's six initiatives mm-hmm. and uh i thought well my gosh i didn't put two and two together but we need to have somebody from that organization on the radio show today and so uh i walked uh went over to the founder of let's go washington brian haywood and he said hey I'm going to be busy flying to CPAC, so you need to uh, talk to Hallie. And so I'm bringing on Hallie Balch, and she lives down in Southwest Washington with me.
1: Hello, neighbors! <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Hallie. Welcome to the Liberty Hour of Informed Life Radio. It's wonderful to have you here today.
4: Thank you so much. I appreciate you guys having me on.
3: Great, great. Uh- so we yeah, we had a we had a, a rousing rally, fairly short, which was nice for the all the legislators who were there. Who could get back to work i think they had to go back into session and committee meetings at 1 30. but uh did you have a lot to do with the organization of the rally
4: you know i uh i had a lot to do with the press side of things but not so much um uh the the crowd that came out we were really impressed with um i think that it's been something that washingtonians have made it clear this is something that they you know, want to have a voice on with these initiatives. And so we were so excited to see such a huge crowd. I'm terrible at guessing how many people are in attendance somewhere. Um, But I was hearing people say maybe 350, 400. I don't know if that's accurate, but it was a ton of people. And um, yeah, we were just so excited to see, you know, such a great turnout for this cause that so many people have rallied behind for so many years now.
1: Um, Holly, can you tell us a little bit about Let's Go Washington?
4: Yes, absolutely. So Let's Go Washington is an organization that was um, created by Brian Haywood, um, and it essentially is the host of these six initiatives that 800,000 Washingtonians um, signed on to uh, since, I believe, the beginning of 2023. Um, Brian talked about it a little bit today. he started his first round of initiatives, included 11 uh, ballot initiatives that um, he learned a lot from. And the team and the volunteers, they all learned a lot from and kind of pared it down to six this year. Um, and you know, the rally today was to kind of draw attention to the fact that, um, Democrats are doing half of their job uh, in giving a hearing to only three of them. And as Brian said earlier today, uh, 50 percent is a failing grade. And Washingtonians have made it clear we have these six issues that we want to be on the ballot. We want to have our voices heard on. Um, And for some reason, the Democrats only want to give a hearing to some items. So um, we were calling on those legislators to do their full job and represent the people of Washington um, as they have made their voice heard already.
3: Yeah, and who who all was there speaking?
4: Oh gosh, Uh, now you're gonna really put me on the spot. Um, We had a couple of gubernatorial candidates were there. Um, We had Jim Walsh in attendance. He gave a rousing speech about how important it is to continue showing up and making sure that um, you are contacting your legislators and making sure that they know, you know, how you feel about only three of the six initiatives being um, heard next week. Uh, gosh, you may have to fill in some of the gaps here because that was I was running around yeah. like a crazy person. Brian Haywood was there. I know that. Uh, Brandy Cruz was there. Uh, John Carlson emceed it for us there. Oh, was that that's we we're going to. OK, yeah,
3: that's 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 the first time I've ever seen him in person. You know, I listen to oh, him on wonderful. the radio all the time.
4: I so know. Whenever they're Paul out,
3: Carlson, be the MC.
4: Yeah, whenever they're out in in the real world, you always see people swarming around them, and you always hear like, "I listen to you every day. It's so nice to meet you in person." So, yeah, that was really fun. Um, and he's funny because he will always add extra commentary that's always illuminating, and you know, a ton of extra background that's helpful for people too. So that was awesome to, to have him there.
3: Yeah, good. So, do we want to maybe go through the six? Do we have time?
4: Just yeah, to we look, can jump that through that it. it. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you have time. Talk about I'll go with, Yeah, I'll go quick, and I'll start um, with the three that are up for uh, for a hearing. We have the first one is going to be twenty one eleven, which is no state income tax, um, and that's going to be they're having a hearing on uh, Tuesday, actually. Um, and at the end of my little spiel, I will talk about how people can get involved um, so that we don't leave anybody hanging. But um 2111, yeah, is the first one. No state income tax. I mean, Washingtonians have voted on this, what, 10 times in the past, like, 100 years or something. Uh, we don't want an income tax, right? So many people come to Washington State because it doesn't have this income tax. And for some reason, Democrats keep trying to make it happen. It's not happening. <laughs> so this is the first uh, the first hearing on Tuesday. Wednesday is uh, 2081 and that's the parental notification um, initiative and this one's interesting because it's got a ton of bipartisan support um, that was one of the kind of hallmarks of today's rally along with asking democrats to do their their full job and not just half um, it was also highlighting this kind of huge coalition of support that exists between democrats and republicans this is these are not issues that are you know stuck on one party, um, these issues affect everybody. And so one of the most exciting things from um, some internal polling that happened was uh, we found out that 57% of the people that signed on to these initiatives uh, were either Democrat or independent. So that's huge, right? That's a that's a huge win for us just before we've even made it onto the ballot, just to have that, that, that many signatures from um, people that aren't you know, traditionally Republican or conservative, however you kind of label that. So that was awesome. But 2081 was one of those uh, initiatives that got a ton of that bipartisan support. And it's because, we believe it's because, um, you know, parents kind of learned an interesting lesson during COVID, parents of, of students that were in the public schools. And um, a lot of people were saying, I don't want to go through that again. I don't want to not know what's going on with my student. Um, and another piece of this is interesting is that, um this isn't creating a new law this isn't changing anything this isn't anything drastic it's just it's it's a law that essentially already exists but a lot of school districts um ignore it um, or there's no way to enforce it so this just offers parents the ability to have access to their children's medical records right it's your child. You should have access to this information, um, have access to what they're being taught in schools, understand, you know, what conversations they're having with a guidance counselor or a medical counselor in their school so that parents can stay up to date with, with what's going on with their children. Um, so sorry, I went really long on that one. I'll go faster through the others, but that that one's that that here.
3: That that particular one is probably more dear to our hearts than Informed Choice Washington with program notification.
4: Yeah, definitely. Um, it's, yeah, it's interesting. I think COVID definitely, like I said, it definitely awakened a lot of people to some of the stark realities in uh the public school system. Um, and this is one of those things that seems like, yeah, if I if I am hearing something about my child or a secondhand, you know, report about my child's health or well-being. I think that I should have access to it, seeing as you know I am their parent and I I, I should have access to that information. So, it just kind of expands on um, offering security and safety to parents, um, which is important. Uh, that hearing is happening on Wednesday at eight a.m. Um, and then the last one is uh, twenty one thirteen, which is reasonable police pursuit. Um, gosh, I could. Now that I say it, I'm going to go fast, I'm like I, this one I could talk about forever too. Um, this one has also been interesting to talk about. Um, we know that Democrat policies have caused an increase in crime. Um, there's a ton of studies showing, you know, the correlation between the bills that have, they've, they have passed and how people's lives have gotten more difficult in terms of public safety. Um, and this is kind of one of those very, I hate when people say this, but it's a very common sense measure um, that would offer people would offer law enforcement the tools that they need to keep our community safe. Um, There are a ton of restrictions on what law enforcement officers can and can't do right now. And they have to go through, jump through so many hoops just to be able to pursue a criminal in the act of committing a crime. Um, You know, there's anecdote after anecdote after anecdote about officers that literally watch somebody commit a crime or they... Uh, you know get a call about somebody but because they didn't see the whole thing happen or they don't you know there's so many hoops they have to jump through now that it makes it almost impossible for them to do their jobs. Yeah, I've got a so good example.
3: Would... Here here in Clark County Please. we had we had uh, a policeman parked in parallel downtown and a car backs into him repeatedly. He mm. Backs into his car repeatedly and drives away. And the yeah. guy basically flips him off out the back window and at that point that was when it first passed. He could not pursue. Yeah. Just right. It's here. insane.
4: It's yeah, it, it is actually, uh, and we've, we've heard a lot of testimony from police officers themselves that are saying our hands are tied. We don't, there's nothing that we can do about this. Um, so that, that'll be an interesting one for sure. Um, and then of the ones that are not going to hearing, um, starting, uh, with the hidden gas tax, um, also known as the CCA. Um, this is, yeah, 2117, um, This one is particularly infuriating if you're a commuter, if you are, gosh, even if you just drive up the street every day, um, you know, Jay Inslee made a promise that it was gonna be pennies on the dollar for Washingtonians and that is not accurate at all. Um, One of the tactics that the, uh, the radical progressives of Olympia are using is to say if the CCA is revoked or if, you know, 2117 should pass, um, get enough yes votes on the ballot, we'll lose all this funding for roads. We won't have access to public transit. Um, you know, everything is going to go to hell in a handbasket essentially when it comes to transportation, and that could not be further from the truth. Um, and that will become apparent uh, as somebody on the appropriations committee said today at the rally. Um, that'll become apparent in the in the coming week. Um, essentially, they're just trying to scare people into. Voting no. Um, and what's fun about this one is they're talking about a utility rebate, which would essentially I call it a bribe, but maybe, you know, they call it a pay, a one time payout fine. Um, if. It's so hard to explain because there's so many pieces of it, but essentially they have the money to give Washingtonians cash back, a cash rebate um, of two hundred dollars, and they've said that they will offer this rebate if. 2117 does not pass so <laughs> it's like it it's funny they must think that washingtonians can't do math or something i'm not sure it just this rebate in particular shows the true opinion of democrats um of the people of washington state right because essentially they're taking thousands of dollars in this hidden gas tax from people uh every year and somehow they're going to offer us a one-time payment of $200 and that should make up for all the extra cash that they've taken because of their ridiculous taxes and it's just like we we see what you're doing you're not slick you know it's not like you're you're pulling the wool over people's eyes so I really made a promise that I was gonna go fast and I'm really not holding that promise so I apologize we're gonna move on now Um, 2124 is the uh, long-term care coverage act and essentially this is a program that uh, had a number of of studies and um, groups come out early before it even was enacted before it was uh, put into practice that said this is not a good idea we're not ready for this we don't have the infrastructure to support this um, and the program is not going to be run well even the Seattle Times said this right and Yet, <laughs> in their infinite wisdom, uh, the uh, Olympia progressives said, We're doing it, it's happening. And so, essentially, this is a tax that everybody pays into. Um, and it's for a program that's been un- largely unsuccessful so far. Um, and 2124 would essentially just allow people to opt out of the program. You can still opt to pay into it if you'd like to, we're just giving you the option because. We believe, uh, let's go Washington, and a number of people in the state believe that you know how to deal with uh, your paycheck better than the government does, and they don't deserve to have your their hands in your money, right? Um, so this is just another way to kind of keep the power uh, with the people, essentially. Um, and the last one is 2109, and that is the capital gains tax. And uh, essentially, it would just Uh, as it says there, take away an excise tax uh, that's imposed on the sale or exchange of certain long-term capital assets. Um, So it's anything $250,000 and above. So it's kind of, um, it's a little more uh, siloed off. It's not so much, the other ones pertain to pretty much every single Washingtonian. This one's a little bit more specific, Um, but that's my, that is my quick run through, even though that took me about seven minutes. I'm so sorry. Um, but there is one thing people can do three ways. Actually, people can get involved with those hearings. Um, that'll be happening Tuesday and Wednesday. Uh, people can join online. They can do a, um, an online testimony to be a part of those hearings. They can join in person. They can go to the Capitol building and actually be a part of those hearings saying why they support, um, each of those initiatives that we just talked about. Or if you can't do either of those options, you can just sign your name on the pro side um, to show your support for, again, those three initiatives that are going to be up for hearing. And boy, that's my whole spiel. I should work on cutting it down. I apologize.
3: Thanks. You might need some high level civics lesson though here in just a second. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Well, and Hallie, I want to say, do not apologize. You were fantastic. <laughs> True, and I got to tell you, I love to see young people like you that are so articulate, intelligent, and passionate getting involved in the future of Washington State. So it's an honor to meet you and you did great. With thank the, you. The I appreciate it. <laughs> thank you.
3: Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Great to meet you. And so can you just remind us what the difference is between the the civic process with the three that are going to the legislature next week, and then the three that are not being heard, but will be voted on in the fall, no matter what?
4: Yes. So again, we had six that we started with. Three are getting the hearing. Um, next week so essentially the legislature has three options available to them after the hearing they can say this is incredible you guys wrote this perfectly no edits it's becoming a law and while that's pretty unlikely um, it's possible it's a possibility Um, so that's one option they can just vote it into law right there um, and that's that'll be it for those three Uh, The second option with that is they can say, no, we're not going to vote on this. Uh, We're going to ignore it and not touch it after we had these hearings. We're split. We don't want to go. This is what I think they're going to do. They don't want to go on the record as voting against it. I think they wanna save themselves a little bit. So they can say, no, we're not touching it. And it goes back to the ballot for the voters. The third thing they can do is propose amendments to it um, and kind of like write their own version, basically. So yeah, we really love um, that you can opt out of the long-term tax, but we're gonna add an extra tax on to something um, in that same uh, w- along with that same initiative. So essentially the two options would go to the ballot and people would vote on do you like Initiative One A or do you like Initiative One B? Basically, and those would be the two options. The other three that did not receive hearings will go straight to the ballot. So, um, do not be forlorn if you're upset by the fact that they're not getting a hearing. You'll still have your chance to vote on these um, initiatives. And you know, about a quarter of the electorate um, got involved to even get these on, make these, they make these initiatives a reality in the first place. So. Um, we're excited. We are excited about the option to you know, even have those three on the ballot because we know that momentum is on our side. We know that people are genuinely tired of being overlooked and of their voices being um, muted by people who don't share their same opinion. Um, and truthfully, the job of the legislature is to represent the people. Right. And they have ignored us for so long that it's it's time. It's time for the people. They've had enough, as your shirt says. (laughs) Yeah, no, I think have
3: enough is the phrase we were using for the 11 initiatives last year. Yeah. At least here in Clark County. I don't know if that was statewide, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, Had enough? Yeah. Do you want more gas tax? What else do you need to wake up?
1: Yeah. Um, Um, Yeah. Well, Hallie, thank you so much for joining us. I so appreciate it. You know, we'll invite you to come back on and and keep us updated. I really appreciate it there. Thank Um, you so much. You're you're welcome. Um, So, Bob, I'm going to, oops, hold on here. I didn't do a good job there. I'm saying goodbye to Hallie and I put up her thing instead. So, (laughs) hey, we'll take the extra stuff. Thank you. (laughs) We'll try again. Thanks. And uh, so we've got like just a minute and a half here, Bob. Do you want to quickly um, update us on the Secretary of Health bill?
3: Okay. Yeah. And so we've got the two bills we've been opposing, uh, one of them being the Secretary of Health standing orders that has now gone through both committees in the health space. And it's it's ready now to be called to the House floor. Mm -hmm. So it's in the House Rules Committee and that's the Secretary of Health standing orders. Uh, they want him to have a permanent ability to use an emergency power to prescribe drugs to anybody, i.e. vaccines. I mean, that's the main thing they like for infectious disease outbreaks. They claim that local health officers, the 30 or so across the state can already do this, but it's not, ex- it's not explicit in their powers. It's implied maybe that they can do all kinds of stuff if there's a health emergency. It's not explicit. This would be the first time it's actually written as an explicit power for any health officer in a state if they pass that. Mm-hmm. And I think it's offensive. It's disingenuous for them to kind of walk through and say, we need this. It's, I mean, so I want guardrails. I want an emergency use only clause added. I want to, I'm. I'm we're, we need to get our members to do that for the floor vote coming up is mm-hmm. to send reminders to get an emergency use clause in there. Or if they keep claiming that it's for uh, substance abuse, um, uh, overdoses. To have standing orders for all sorts of different naloxone and all these different um, overdose drugs at, in place for EMTs. Well, just make it for EMTs then. That they should be constrained to just make it for emergency situations.
2: Mm-hmm. And
3: th- that's my plea. That's my plea. Sorry, I'm a little passionate about that. That's the one that's really got me up in a lather this session. And then the vaccine definition change bill, where you can get mRNA and RSV shots. It looks like mm-hmm. it's just sailing right through mm. the part. It's it's almost along party lines, uh, almost exclusively along party lines. So at least the the conservative side is saying, no, we want you to be held accountable. The vaccine definition shouldn't change. The other one's fine. That's how vaccines were invented. They were part of the microbes as part of the antigen to make the vaccine work. And they're going to take that away. They're going to say mm-hmm. defer everything to the CDC and then they'll just pass that on through. And that that makes the, them able to now purchase, even though they illegally purchased before this.
2: They will, I don't want to sound uh, too extreme, but they will burn in hell for that. That is so disingenuous, changing a definition in order to pass it, especially in something that is so unproven and has been shown to fail.
1: Yeah, they're doing it retroactively too. Because <laughs> yeah. they've already right? Yeah. Alrighty, fellas. Well, we've had two great hours of radio. Don't give up. We're going to keep fighting the good fight. We're going to win this. We will. Um, you've been listening to the Liberty Hour on Inform Life Radio. Next week, we've got Dr. S- uh, Stephanie Senef coming on the Health Hour. You're not going to want to miss it. And of course, Liberty Hour will have good things to come too. So everybody have a great weekend and we will see you next week. Take care.
0: See you in Olympia. Are you suffering from a sinking feeling that the COVID-19 pandemic is being blown out of proportion and that nothing in the news is making any sense? If so, then there is a fact-based science-driven news show designed just for you. My name is Del Bigtree and I am the host of The High Wire, the world's most trusted news source in digital media when it comes to accurate science-based reporting on the COVID-19 pandemic. From COVID-19 vaccine development to mask mandates, school shutdowns to job layoffs, the high wire goes beyond providing you with the most accurate evidence-based investigations. We send you links to the sources for all of our reporting so that you can further your own investigation and come to your own informed conclusions.
2: Informed Choice Washington is a nonprofit organization that advocates for healthy immunity, medical freedom, and fully informed medical consent. The right to make medical choices without coercion is fundamental to our civil liberties and a basic principle in all human rights declarations. To learn more, tune in each Friday from 3 to 5 p.m. to an Informed Life Radio and visit the website InformedChoice.com. Org. It's time to take a stand for medical freedom. Go to informchoicewa.org today.